Now, unfortunately, the translators, when they translated the Bible, because you know, originally there were not chapters. There were no chapters in the Bible. It was just one running continuum. But then the translators, they put chapters there, and I'm glad they did it for the most part because it helps break it up, and when you memorize Scripture, you do it by chapter and so on and so forth. But unfortunately, they broke chapter 13 and 14 up when, when the, the narrative is really uh, something that is, that, that is together, that, that is happening um, without a break. Because you see, chapter 13 is a heavy chapter. Jesus has told his disciples several things that, that really troubled them, that, that, that really ran a number on them. Jesus has told them in chapter 13, I'm, I'm about to go away. I'm about to leave you. I'm not going to be with you much longer. And they looked at him, didn't understand. You know, they never really had a clue what was going on until the day of Pentecost. They never really had a clue. He said, I'm about to go away. And, 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 and so it's not going to be long. We don't have long together. This troubled them. They didn't understand it. And then he said, furthermore, I want you to know, they were at the Lord's Supper, at the first Lord's Supper. He said, I also want you to know that my betrayer is at this table. It's one of you. One of you are going to betray me. And they looked at each other, they, total consternation. Who could it be? Is it me? Is it you? Lord, Lord, we can't, I'll never do that. I couldn't do that. Who in the world at this table could do that? John asked him, who's going to do it? And John leaned on Jesus' chest and said, Lord, who will it be? Well, he who dips their bread in the wine, he, he, he who partakes of this supper, somebody partaking of this supper is going to do it. Jesus told them that. That was heavy. That troubled them. One of them was going to rat out Jesus. But then at the very end of chapter 13, Jesus looked at his star pupil, his star disciple, Simon Peter, and says to Simon Peter, Simon, you think you're never going to leave me. You think you will never betray me or walk out on me. But I'm telling you, Simon, you are going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times. You're going to do it, Simon. They all heard it. And and Simon was their leader. Simon was the leader of the pack. And and he's telling the leader of the pack, you're going to deny me three times, Simon. And Simon Peter said, not me, never. I will never go there, Lord. It's never going to be done by me. But he did. Now, those three things lead into chapter 14. So no wonder, as soon as he told Simon Peter, um, Simon, you're going to deny me, he he begins chapter 14, verse 1 with, now, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. I've just told you three heavy things, but don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And he begins to talk to them about heaven, death, and dying, eternal life, and his return. Because these announcements of his had had fallen like a thunderbolt on this small group of disciples who had left everything and followed him. So understandably, they're troubled. But he says, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. I want to comfort you right now in the next three verses. He said, let not your heart be troubled. That word trouble comes from a Greek word that means to be thrown into fear or anxiety or confusion. Guys, don't let your heart be thrown into fear. Don't let your heart 
have anxiety. Don't be weighed down with anxiety and don't let yourself be confused about some of the things that I've said or, or an uncertain future. I don't want you to be confused and I don't want you to have anxiety. And I want you to notice he puts it on them. He says, I don't want you to let it happen. You're in charge of your heart. You're in charge of your thoughts. You're in charge of what you allow to to your heart to fellowship with. We can fellowship with fear or we can fellowship with the Holy Ghost. We can fellowship with doubt or we can fellowship with faith. We can fellowship with Jesus or we can fellowship with the flesh. Our heart is in our control. He says, don't let, don't allow your heart to get rattled, shaken, moved away from the promises of God and your hope in Jesus Christ. Don't let it happen to you. You're in charge. Don't let it happen. Don't allow your own weaknesses or the terrors of a fallen world or the sense of uncertainty about your future allow you to become troubled. You believe in God, the mighty creator God, Jehovah God, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the God who is in charge of all things, you believe in that God, the eternal God who knows the end of a thing before the beginning even begins, you believe in that God, then equally believe in me. Equally believe in me. Because in the beginning was the Word, and Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus Christ was not some first century hippie walking around in sandals with long hair saying nice, loving things. Uh, giving everybody a warm fuzzy. No, Jesus was God wrapped in skin. Jesus was God visiting planet earth. Jesus came from there to here. God visited us and looked at us through the eyes of Jesus, spoke to us through the mouth of Jesus, listened to us through the ears of Jesus, and felt our pain through the life of Jesus. So he says, put your faith and your trust and your hope and your confidence in me. My confidence and my faith is in Jesus Christ. What I've gone through lately with the home going of Kathy, I want to tell you, it has driven me to the word of God, even though I've preached since I was 18. I started preaching when I was 18, and now that I'm 42, I've been going a long time. It's been a long haul. I've preached all my life. I have preached the vast majority of my life on this planet. I have delivered the word of God, and it's been a high honor to do it. He saved me young and led me into the ministry when I was still a teenager. I was a teenager, hair down to here, skinny as a rail, no high school. But he laid his hand on me and said, I want you to preach my word, now go for it. And I did, and I've been doing it all this time. But when Kathy went home, I began to go into the, the Word, into the promises about heaven, and the promises about eternal life, what Jesus said. And isn't it funny how the Word of God, you can read it a thousand times and then read it a thousand and one times, and something else jumps out at you. It is a living Word, a God-breathed Word. He breathed it through His holy men of old. He moved on them by the Holy Ghost. They were born along by the Holy Spirit, and they brought the Word of God. It is an eternal Word. It is an infallible Word. It is an inerrant Word. There are no mistakes in the original text. It's the very Word of God. So I went, I began to dig and, and, and read about heaven again and what Jesus said. And you can't find a better place than John 14, 1 through 3. And, and, and so Jesus, to comfort them from what was troubling them, he, he, he got their eyes on heaven. Yeah. 
He turned them from earthly things to heavenly things. No wonder Paul said in Colossians, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3. And so Jesus began to talk to them about heaven, and that's the way he lifted them up. So I'm going to talk to you about heaven today. He said, let me tell you some things about heaven, the place where all who trust in me are going to go. See, this earth is not our home. We are strangers and pilgrims only passing through. This, this earth, this world is like a hotel. We're checked in for a while, but one day we're checking out, and we're going to a place where we're going to be forever and forever and ever and ever, ages upon ages without end. We are eternal, and we're going to an eternal home. And Jesus got their eyes on that. And he said, I want you to understand, disciples, that heaven is a prepared place. Heaven is a prepared place. He said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. That word mansions is taken from a word that can mean abiding place, dwelling place, home, not just mansion, but a place where you will live, a place where you will abide Forever and forever and forever. Now, very plainly, what he's calling the Father's house, he said, in my Father's house are many mansions. The Father's house is heaven. It's heaven. The Father's house is heaven. And the Bible tells us that after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he hung around for about 40 days, appearing to people, over 500 people, saw a man who had come back from the dead. And he appeared to James, John, Peter. He ate fish and walked through doors that were locked. He appeared in their midst. He had a glorified body, unlike anybody that has ever walked the planet. His body was not subject to gravity. It was not subject to normal law. It was a glorified body, so much so that Mary didn't recognize him when he had risen from the dead. He, she thought he was the gardener until he called her name, Mary. And she understood him and knew who he was by the way he called her name. And he calls you and I by name as well. He knows you by name. He knows his sheep by name. And we follow him. He calls us by name. The Bible reveals that after 40 days... Jesus lifted up his arms. You can read about it in the Bible. He lifted up his arms with the disciples standing there. And it says he was taken up into heaven, up into the clouds, and disappeared into the clouds with all of them, necks craned, eyes peeled, watching him rise. They were so transfixed that an angel had to come and break the spell and tell them to get with it. And he went back to heaven. And you know what heaven was? It was a homecoming to him because he had come from heaven. He had come from heaven to tell us about heaven, to take us back to heaven. That's why Jesus came. He, had, he told his listeners he had come down from heaven. John three thirteen. listen to this. He said, no one has ever gone to heaven in return. No one has ever gone to heaven and come back. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. He came down from heaven to tell us about heaven, to deliver us from the devil, to break his grip over us, to deliver us from hell, 
to show us the way, to teach us the right path, to shine like a light. He came down from heaven, heaven sent. And he also told them that when his work on earth was finished, he was going to go back from whence he had come. He was going to go back home. He was going to go back to heaven. He said, if you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. If you really love me, you would be happy for me that I'm going back home to the Father. He said, if you really understood the glory and the beauty of that place, you would be very, very glad for me that I'm going back home because it's so much better than this this devil-infested, sin-infected world. Heaven says Jesus is the Father's house. Let me tell you about heaven. It is not some cold, sterile, uh, empty, boring place where you're going to float around on some cloud playing a harp. I'd be bored with that in three hours flat. When I used to think that way, I didn't want to go to heaven. I thought, eternity? Playing a harp? But no, we will never get tired of being in heaven. We will never get weary of being in heaven because in heaven... Jesus is going to have us doing things. We're going to be busy. Eternity is going to march on. We're going to see him like he really is. We're going to be in his presence forevermore. We won't have a microsecond of boredom. It'll be bliss upon bliss, joy upon joy, revelation upon revelation, glory upon glory. It'll be an unbelievable place. Heaven. Say with me, we're all going there. He was eager to get back there. No wonder Paul the Apostle said, for to me, living means opportunities for Christ. And dying, well, that's better yet. Verse 22, but if living will give me more opportunities to win people to Christ, then I really don't know which is better, to live or to die. Sometimes I want to live, and at other times I don't. Now, was the man suicidal? Was he depressed? Was something wrong with him? Was he having an emotional breakdown that he said, sometimes I don't want to live here? These days, when somebody calls you and says, I don't want to live here anymore, we make that phone call. But Paul wasn't depressed. Paul wasn't down. Paul wasn't blue. Paul knew something that most people don't know. He had been caught up to the third heaven. He had seen things no man is is supposed to see. He had heard things he could not repeat on earth. It was not lawful for him to even repeat what he had heard. He had seen the glories of the third heaven where the Father dwells. And once he saw it, earth grew strangely dim in the light of the glory and the grace that he had seen. And he he began to salivate and long and and yearn for that place called heaven. Now he goes on. He says, sometimes I want to live and other times I don't. For I long to go and be with Christ. How much happier for me than being here. Amen. Amen. Boy, it's quiet in the house today. Do you believe that heaven is a glorious place, a beautiful place, an incredible place, a wonderful place, an unmatched place, an inconceivable place? You can't conceive of the glories of heaven. Now, the Bible reveals that when Jesus went back, he got busy. Matter of fact, positionally, the Bible says he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven. At God's right hand. Where is Jesus right now in heaven? He is seated at the right hand of creator God Almighty, Elohim. He is right at his right 
hand. He turns to the left and talks to the Father. The Father turns to the right and talks to him. He's right there, highly exalted, name above every name. There's not a name higher than the name of Jesus in heaven or earth or under the earth. He's right there in heaven. That's his position. But experientially, what he's experiencing, Hebrews tells us, therefore he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Can you say with me, he's praying for me? Let's say it like we mean it. He's praying for me. What is Jesus doing right now? He's at the right hand of the Father. And you know what he's praying? I pray that you make it. I pray that you run your race. I pray that you keep the faith. I'm praying you don't mess up. I'm praying you don't stumble. I'm praying you don't ruin your life. I'm praying that the devil does not succeed over you. I'm praying for you like I prayed for Peter. I prayed that Peter, though he was tested, I prayed that his faith would not fail, but when he returned, he would strengthen the brethren. He's not praying that we never have a trial. He's praying that when we go through the trial, we come out like gold and our faith is stronger than it's ever been. He's praying for us. But you know what I like? It doesn't stop there. He's busy in heaven. You know what? He's still in the carpentry business. No, I really mean it. He's in the carpentry business as a, on earth. He was a carpenter with his, his, his stepdaddy, Joseph, because Joseph was not his daddy. God was his daddy. But he had a stepdaddy, Joseph, and Joseph taught him to work in wood, just preparing him because this is what he's going to do. He said, listen, I go to prepare. I go to prepare a place an abode, a dwelling place for you. I'm going back to heaven to build you a dwelling place, a home. I'm going to put my hands to it. I'm going to build you a place. I'm going to prepare you a place. The word prepare is powerful. It's translated from a Greek word. It means uh, it's used in the New Testament for preparing a meal. You know, you, you wives, you get in there and, and you prepare a meal. You, you know, the meat, the potatoes and, and, and the gravy and, and you set the table and you prepare a meal for the family. That's the word. That's the same word I'm preparing. I'm going to prepare. Or the same word is used when Jesus told his disciples to go and prepare the upper room for the first Lord's Supper. The same word. Paul used the same word when he writes Philemon and says, I want you to prepare a room for me to lodge in. I'm coming, and I want a room to be ready for me. I want a room to be prepared for me, Philemon. So the word means literally to to, to make a place ready for somebody who is soon going to arrive. Make it nice, make it comfortable, make it so that they are blessed in that place. So Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us because we're soon going to arrive. What is this life? It is a blink sandwiched in between two eternities. You live, you do a few things, you die. Your life is a hiccup. But you know what? Isn't it funny how important our life is right now? Even though this is just a dash, even though this is just a camera flash, even though it's a blink, even though it's a hiccup sandwiched in between two eternities, it's the time, the moment, the season, the place where the rest of eternity is decided for you. But what I like is Jesus didn't just say, I'm I'm building you separate housing. You're going to be separated. You're going to have a house over here and a house over there. 
uh, and, and then one down yonder, I'm building you separate dwelling places. That's not what he said. Because he gave us, the, the wording that he used means that it's all going to be under the canopy of the Father's house. So there's not going to be somebody over there on Glory Avenue, and then somebody else over there on Sanctified Lane, and then somebody else over in the Holiness Subdivision. No, we're all going to be under the same canopy. You say, oh, no, I don't like that idea. There's some folks I don't even want to see up in heaven. Let me tell you something. Once you are caught up to glory and there's no more flesh hanging on you, you won't feel that that way at all. You won't feel that way at all. But Jesus said, let me tell you what's going to make heaven heaven. Here's what's going to make heaven heaven. So that where I am, there you may be also. See, what's going to make heaven heaven is he's going to be there. The one who died for me is going to be there. Jesus who rose from the dead is going to be there. The lover of my soul is going to be there. The one who's walked me through every valley on this planet is going to be there, taking me in his arms, letting me into his presence. I'm going to hear his voice. I'm going to hold him. I'm going to touch him. I'm going to kiss him on the cheek. I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus. So that where I am, there you may be also. He said, you're going to be right there with me. You're all going to be together under the same roof in the Father's house. When you wake up in the morning, I'm going to be there to greet you. When you wander through your dwelling, I'll be there. When you walk through the streets of glory, I'll be there. It's all going to be together, all under the Father's house. John the Revelator tells us Jesus' faith face is going to be the sun that shines and lights up heaven. We won't need a sun because we're going to have an S-O-N, the sun, his face lighting up that place called heaven. His voice will be the sound that fills heaven. His presence will be the permeating essence of heaven. It's going to be Jesus in the beginning, Jesus in the end, and Jesus all throughout. I'm going to go prepare a place for you Topos. We get topography from that. It's going to be a literal geographical location, a place. You're going to be able to walk on it, sit down in it, move around in it, feel it, experience it. It's a place, a geographical spot just for you. Where's my place? Where's my place? Right here, Jeff. Right here. Right here. I have it ready just for you. Where's my place? Says Susie, Jane, John, Bill. Where is it? It's right here, right over here. I've got it just for you. A topos, a location, a real location, a real place. See, well, Jeff, where is heaven? I don't know. I don't know where heaven is. Because, see, we think, well, it's way, 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 way out there, and we envision this long distance. But you see, if there's not material things to measure distance by, there is no distance. We must have a material thing here, A, and a material thing over here, B, and then measure the distance between A and B. But in glory, in the spirit world, there's no material things to measure distance by. So there is no distance and there is no time because nobody's getting old. 
Glory to God for that. I don't know where heaven is. I've wondered, I've wondered if it's right here. It's in the fourth dimension. We're in the third dimension of material things, time and space. But beyond time and space, the fourth dimension, is it just right here? Is it just right here? You know, Elijah, he, he, he opened his eyes and he saw the chariots of fire and the angels of God surrounding the enemy that was coming against him. They were right there. Is it just right here? Is it just like when your body dies, you just walk through a door and you're right here? Are they all looking at us? I don't know. But I do know this, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man on your best and sharpest and brightest day. You can't begin to comprehend or imagine what God has prepared for those who love him in the place called heaven. Heaven. Heaven is exalted in glory. It's totally different from the earth. It's full of wonder and praise and OMGs. For those of you that don't know social media, OMG is oh my God. I believe when we get to heaven, it's going to be oh my gosh. Oh my Lord, I could never have imagined. Look at this. OMG, 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 OMG. Oh, heaven. Heaven, 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 heaven. There's no pain there. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's no temptation. There's no heart attacks. There's no cancer. There's no headaches. There's no sorrow, no devil, no conflicts, no wars, no broken relationships. There's no joblessness, no pink slips, no poverty, no depression, no setbacks, no letdowns, no disillusionments, no bloodshed, no tears, no heartbreak. I could go on. There's no slimy, grimy, split-hoofed devil. There's no flesh to take you down. And I want to tell you something, church. It's not a dream. This is not something made up by the Brothers Grimm. This is not plucked out from some ancient Greek mythology or the imagination of men. This thing called heaven. No, it's topos, a place. I go to prepare a topos for you, a real place, a geographical location. It is there. It's real. It's substantive. It's feelable. It's tangible. It's God's dwelling place. He has a throne there. His honor reigns supreme there. There's nobody blaspheming his name there. No cursing, no swearing, no doubting God, no running down his name, no casting dirt at the creator. That's all gone. Nothing that stains, nothing that makes dirty, nothing that defiles can enter that place called heaven. And Jesus will be there. Aren't you looking forward to seeing Jesus? Aren't you looking forward to seeing Jesus? Now, third and lastly, here's what Jesus said to a troubled group of disciples. He said, I want you to know I'm coming back. I've whetted your appetite for that place called heaven, but I want you to know I'm personally coming back to get you. Can everybody say with me, he's coming back. Read it with me. And if I go and prepare a place for you, 
Let's start over. If I go and prepare a place for you, read it good and loud. I will come again and receive you to myself. It's so sad that there's many pulpits today that will no longer preach the return of Christ. They won't talk about sin. They won't talk about hell. And they won't talk about the return of Jesus. Uh, Because they feel like, well, that's just too heavy to tell people. Nobody really believes that. Oh, yes, we do. Didn't the Bible predict that in the last days scoffers would come saying, where's the promise of his return? For things are going like they've always gone and he hadn't returned yet. It's been so long and nothing has happened. We've been warned about that. Jesus said, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. When you least expect it, the trump will sound, and I'm going to return. I'm going to return when you least expect it. I'm going to take the world by surprise. There's one grand objective in your salvation and one grand objective in the details of your life, that you might be with Christ, which is far better. Jesus ascended and returned to the Father's house in order that we might be taken there and be with him in glory. He's our forerunner, the captain of our salvation. And he's gone ahead of us and blazed the trail, and we're coming right behind him. Now, in light of this, so Jeff, that's all good, but there's some things about a Christian dying I don't understand. Let me tell you what happens when a believer dies. I have a glove here. Now, I've used this illustration before, but... It's so effective, I'm just going to use it again, because I've been amazed at how many people still aren't clear about what happens when a believer dies. So here's a glove. Now, I want you to pretend with me that this glove is our body. Now, I want you to notice, when nothing's in it, it's limp, lifeless, non-animated, dead. What is it? It's useless. Unless something fills it, unless something is in it, if something is in it, it becomes animated and alive. And so I put, now my hand represents my soul, represents your soul. Now that we are tripart. We are body, soul, and spirit. You have a body, you have a soul, you have a spirit. Your soul is, is, is the Greek word suke, and it means your mind, will, and your emotions. Your soul is what learns, is what thinks. It is the essence of you. It, it carries your personality. That's your soul. But your spirit is what was dead in trespasses and sins and was made alive when you called out on Jesus and the Holy Ghost touched your spirit and raised you from the spiritual dead. You with me? So you have a body, you have a soul, you have a spirit. The body is not eternal, although it will be resurrected. The soul and the spirit are eternal. You're an eternal being. You can't get away from that. When you die, you you do not go into annihilation. You do not return to nothingness. Your soul and your spirit will go on. Your soul and your spirit... Uh, uh, they're hard to distinguish, but, but they're both eternal. And when Jesus told us the parable of the man who went to hell, this man that was in hell, he, his soul was fully active because he knew of his brothers that were on earth still. He knew of his former servant named Lazarus who was in Abraham's bosom. He was experiencing fear, which is a soulish uh, uh, emotion. He was experiencing concern, which is a soulish emotion. So his soul was in hell. It was intact, and so was his spirit. Now, when you're alive, the glove is animated. It's animated. Your body's animated. 
because something is in it, the soul and the spirit. We come to church today, hallelujah, glory to God. Okay? The soul and the spirit are in it. The only reason you're sitting looking at me and smiling at me and listening to me is because your soul and spirit are still in your body. But the day is going to come when all of us are going to get something and we're all going to die unless Jesus comes. Now, for you hyper-faith people, you can argue with me all day long, but someday you're going to get something. It's going to be a heart attack. It's going to be a stroke. It's going to be something that takes you out. You are not living to 500 years old. One day you're going to die, your body is. But see, I don't even like to say a Christian dies because a Christian doesn't really die. A Christian's body dies, but his soul and spirit goes on. Because Jesus said, he who believes in me will live forever. Now, here's what happens. The day comes when whatever the reason, your body dies. And when your body dies, the soul and the spirit immediately detach from the body and they immediately go up into the presence of the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hi, Jesus. Because Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord immediately. So the, the, the glove goes into a grave and the hand goes up into the presence of the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I'm enjoying the presence of Jesus. The body is in a grave. The hand goes up into the presence of God. When I was holding Kathy at the end, now, I don't mean to get too heavy, but I'm just telling you, I was there and I was holding her and I was speaking into her ear and I was quoting the 23rd Psalm to her. And when she breathed her last, I I immediately knew that I was talking to this, that she wasn't there because immediately, immediately, there's no purgatory. Purgatory is a, a creation of the Catholic church. If you're a former Catholic, I don't mean to offend you, but it's a creation of the Catholic church. Purgatory says when you die, you go down into this intermediary place where you pay penance for your sins, but, 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 but don't lose hope because once you're there long enough, you're finally going to get out and then go on to heaven. So you pay for sins in purgatory, and then when you're done doing it, You get out. But my Bible tells me Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. All to him I owe. So there's no purgatory. There's no soul sleep. There's no intermediary place. Absent from the body. Present with the Lord. The ultimate event is near. And that's the return of Jesus. His return is so near. When the trumpet blows at that moment, the body of the believer that has died is going to be resurrected from the grave. Now listen carefully to me. You got to catch this because this is the core and crux and essence of Christian belief. If you heard Paul preach, you heard him talk about the resurrection. If you heard Peter or John preach, you heard them preach about the resurrection. Their their soapbox, their continual refrain was the promise that we're all going to be resurrected if we put our faith in Christ. We will be resurrected to eternal life. I can tell you this directly, Paul says, from the Lord. So this is straight from Jesus through Paul that we who are still living when the Lord returns will not rise to meet him ahead of those who are in their graves. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a mighty shout and with the soul-stirring cry of the archangel and the great trumpet call of God and the believers who are dead. I'm going to say that again. 
every glove in the grave. The believers who are dead will be the first to rise to meet the Lord. Then we who are alive and remain on the earth will be caught up together. Now, now look at this, with them. With who? With those who died before us. With them in the clouds. Hey, John, hey, Bill, hey, Sue, can you believe this? Wow. <laughs> OMG, 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 OMG. <laughs> with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with him forever. So comfort and encourage one another with these words. When the body is resurrected, it'll be raised a glorified body, united with the Lord, and the soul and spirit that had been with Jesus will be reunited with a glorified body. Just like Jesus was. When I was picking Kathy's gravestone, uh, if I choke, I'm still chokeable. Just, leave, just smile at me. But when I was picking out her gravestone at the funeral director here, I said, okay, listen, I want here. Because there was a crepe myrtle right over here, which she loved. And the spot was right under this giant oak tree, which she also loved. So I said, right here, I want this one right here. And we were talking about the gravestone, and he said, yeah, yeah, we'll put it here, and, and it'll face east. And when he said it, it'll face east, then uh, me, Mr. Theologian, immediately a verse jumped into my mind, east. Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, 27, Jesus said, as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, watch this, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, Christians all throughout the ages have believed that Jesus was telling us that he's going to appear first in the east. So I thought of this verse, and I said it to the funeral director, and I said, wow, did you know about this verse? And he said, oh, he said, every grave in this cemetery faces east. Because this cemetery was built by Christians who believed in the return of Christ. And so every single grave in this cemetery. And he said, Jeff, I got to tell you, in cemeteries all over the United States that were built on the Judeo-Christian ethic and the Christian belief that Jesus is going to return in the East, they all face East. They all face East. Did you know that? They all face East. So that means when Jesus comes, da, 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 all these people in their grave are going to come up and face the Son of God. That gave me a Holy Ghost bump in the first service, and I just got another one. Isn't that going to be a day? Caught up together with him in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so Jesus said, in light of what I'm just now telling you, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't fear death if you're a Christian. Kathy didn't. I'm going to tell you, she did not. But likewise, don't live like a fool. Listen to me. Don't live like a fool. 
never thinking about death, like teenagers do. They think they're indestructible. They can do anything, go anywhere, do anything stupid. These motorcycles that go shooting past you on the highway in between cars, it's always a teenager. All it takes is one person saying, I think I'm going to turn left without signaling. Whoop, what was that? And they're gone. Reckon with the reality of death by turning to Christ because death is going to come to us all. It may be after 75 years in a silent, unexpected night, your heart gives out. And if you're his, the Lord says, I'm going to come and take you to myself. It may happen after 55 years going through the rough door of cancer. But the Lord comes and says, I'm here to take you home. It may be in an unexpected instant of crashing metal in what we call a car accident, and you or your loved one is taken, just like David Wilkerson, the founder of Teen Challenge and a preacher known around the world, taken in a car crash. He didn't know. You never know. Whatever the means and whatever the time, the promise of Jesus to his own is, I will come again. And I will receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Can we stand? I think I preached pretty good for my first time back in the pulpit. Yep. I'm not bragging on myself. I'm bragging on the grace of God. I didn't even want to come today at first. You have no idea what it's like to lose someone after 40 years. Some of you do. But oh man. I was seeing her this week. That is, I went to the grave. Now remember, if I ever come here and say she talked back to me, you need to make that call. But I did go to the grave and I talked to her and I said, Kathy, Kathy, you will never know how much more thankful I am for the promise of the resurrection since you've gone home. Because, sweetie, you're coming out facing east. I believe it with every atom of my being. Because my Jesus said it. If he said it, that's good for me. Father, we come to you right now in the place of